Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. As always, I am your host, Kevin Weber. Well, I've had some time on my hands, as I'm sure a lot of you have too, with the um, coronavirus pandemic gripping America, to uh, come up with a few things here and and try to put a podcast together for you. Uh, I've been, you know, off of school as a teacher and uh, obviously not working any baseball games, as I'm sure most all of you are doing the same. I, like everybody else, I, I lost my entire collegiate schedule. We're still holding out some hope here that the high school, um, the remaining high school games might get played. Um, the uh, Michigan High School Association, they're they're taking it as slow as they can. Uh, they're probably going to make a decision, I assume, sometime in April on whether or not the spring sports, you know, including baseball, um, will play the rest of their schedule that has not been canceled already, which is basically through the first week of uh, April right now. Personally, I don't think that there's a good chance of that the way things seem to be moving. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong, but I'm kind of anticipating that um, the season probably be canceled. Um, Maybe by May or June, we might get back on the field. I'm still hoping that the, the summer baseball that I umpire, some summer collegiate stuff and some weekly travel ball leagues, that play games during the week, and of course all the weekend tournaments that are out there. I, I hope that we're back on the baseball field by then and, and able to work some games. It would be so strange to take basically a whole year off um, as an umpire. I'm sure you guys are not wanting that to happen as well. Um, and I know players don't want that to happen. I mean, if we are able to get through all of this, which eventually we, we will, it's just a matter of if the timing works out for our baseball season. But if we do, um, I'm sure people are going to be itching to get back out there. They're going to be putting together tournaments and extra games during the week. And, and I know there will be a lot of umpires that are, are willing to, to work some, some times that maybe they weren't quite as willing to be available to try to recoup some of the wages that we uh, lost. You see the title of this episode, the the $15 million rain out. I got a little segment on that because I saw some statistics about what uh, what the potential wage losses were for collegiate umpires. That's, and it's just collegiate umpires. I'm not even talking about high school umpires and, and then all the other sports that uh, are playing during the same season. But uh, I got some feedback to try to get some... Uh, other umpires on here for some interviews. I know sometimes just listening to me is is only so interesting. <laughs> so I've got uh, an umpire for you, Kirk Vanderlaan. He's a, a local umpire that I've worked with on many occasions, and he works high school and summer ball and collegiate ball, and, and he also travels to Arizona. He's been doing that the last several years. And uh, they, of course, had an interesting experience down in Arizona this year with the coronavirus starting to take hold as they were down there. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to him for a few minutes and uh, let you hear about his experiences there. And uh, maybe th- there might be some things there that some of you might be interested in, you know, traveling to Arizona, work some games sometimes, especially if you're in the uh, colder climate like we are here in Michigan. So that will be coming up uh, near the beginning of our show here. Uh, I've got a little segment on uh, pickoff plays at first base 
and two man mechanics when you're in B, of course. Uh, and I also have a another part of our MHSAA uh, postseason exam. I've got five more questions for you. Hopefully it all matters, and hopefully we are able to play postseason here in Michigan, but uh, we'll see how it goes, right? And uh, as usual, I have a umpire spotlight. This time, Jim Joyce, uh, now retired Major League umpire, who was a, a tremendous umpire. But, of course, I'm sure most of you know him for the Armando Galarraga game, in which Galarraga had a perfect game, and Jim Joyce, unfortunately, um, kicked the call at first base um, in that game. So I'll kind of spotlight him, and, and you can, you know, Learn a little bit about Jim Joyce and um, and be thankful that you're not known for a blown call. That's probably the worst thing that an umpire can be known for, to be honest with you. So anyway, I got myself some new AirPod Pros and uh, I've been listening to some music and the podcasts that I listen to. So maybe you have something like that. Hopefully they're working well for you or, or you're listening in the car. Hopefully the audio is turned up loud. For another episode here of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. There's been some interesting information that I've come across uh, over the last week about the loss of wages that baseball umpires across the country have suffered uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. And, of course, you could really add to this if you think about softball umpires and lacrosse and, you know, all the other, you know, soccer and everybody else is is officiating sports as well during the springtime. And, and of course, even the, the winter sports that we're finishing up with basketball and hockey and everything else as well. But anyway, um, one person was talking about this, uh, Scott Irby guy that I came across about how he calculated that it's $15 million in lost wages for baseball umpires, collegiate baseball umpires. And we're not even talking about high school umpires here. All right. So he approximates that there are 3000 umpires that uh, work college baseball and the average umpire maybe makes $5,000 a year. That might be a little high. I mean, I I know, well, I don't know. Just in college ball, that that's well, I I guess I probably come pretty close to that. But still, I know guys make less, but some guys make more. So if you figure, you know, three thousand times five, that's fifteen, fifteen million. So he says, just at the D one level, um, something to consider. There is fourteen weeks um, minimum in a season. Uh, most umpires handle you know three games a week. That's forty two games. The average D1 game is about $500, some more, some less, right? So that's $21,000 per umpire gross revenues. And that's not even including airfare and rental car and all the other expenses and things like that, right? So 150 umpires are also recommended for postseason with about 350 on the list, right? So that's uh, a loss of about $7.35 million. For just D1 umpires, of course, we could go D2, D3, NEI, JUCO, and all that, and we're going to add on more here. So um, if you looked at NCAA regional umpires, 
That's a loss of a little over $2 million for the 96 guys that work that. The Super Regionals, there's 32 guys that work those. That's another $672,000. College World Series umpires, there's eight of them work that. That's $168,000. Um, you know, the Power 5 umpires that make up most of the Super Regionals and College World Series um, of those, you know, 32 umpires, you know, they, they make $35,000 a year. So that's about $1.1 million or, or a little more in lost wages. So anyway, it's a lot of money that everybody's lost. Everybody's lost something. And I see a lot of things out there about, hey, you know, are they going to pay people that? I think there's not much of a chance of anything for that happening. Um, you know, there's lots of people, lots of situations, lots of companies and and industries that maybe will get some kind of bailout. But I don't think that's going to happen. Even if you're a national member, I mean, your insurance that you have, and I'm a national member, it's not going to cover this. I mean, you know, it's just awful luck that all of us have had with this kind of, I guess, natural disaster, if you want to think of it that way. It's similar to that. Um, but it, it is definitely um, it's definitely a rough go for a lot of people. There's going to be some people that are thinking twice about whether you know they're coming back to this if, if this is going to happen because all the time and commitment that you put into it and the expenses to you know make sure that your uniforms and equipment and everything's up to date and um, that your training's up to date a lot of stuff you know so interesting stuff there um, guys you know I, I would not hold out hope that you're going to get any of that money back you know I, I guess if the federal government decides to send us some checks which i've heard that they might um you can consider that part of it i guess yeah, I, I don't know i mean that's about all you're probably gonna be able to hope for um we got bigger problems i guess so interesting nonetheless um it's you know the guys that can do the math like that and figure those things out um definitely some interesting numbers out there but um sad situation but uh that's what uh that's what the world has dealt us this year, huh? Well, I've got Kirk Vanderlaan on the show today. Uh, Kirk is a, a college and high school umpire here in the state of Michigan, but he also uh, travels a little bit. Uh, usually goes down to Arizona uh, every you know, late winter, early spring to do some umpiring. And he was able to do that this year as well. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, welcome to the show, Kirk. Morning, Kevin. Yeah. So, um, how, hey, how did you get into umpiring? I know you've been doing it for a few years now. What made you to decide to, to do some umpiring? Actually, uh, a friend of mine, uh, she was actually the umpire director for the, the North U Little League here where actually I live. And she was in dire straits of an umpire, and she knew I knew baseball. So she asked me to do it. I'd never did it before. So, you know, went up to the local Little League field and uh, strapped on, the, I think, the equipment they had and, and did a few games. And then from there, uh, just, you know, got in, in touch with the people that I needed to to get into high school. Uh, did Obviously been doing that for, you know, from the, since the start. And then uh, obviously talked to more people and got into the uh, the college ranks. So I'd probably say right now maybe 60% college, 40% high school, and then obviously now with the whole travel sports, uh, do that throughout the summer also. Yeah. 
Of course, everybody's about 0% nothing right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so each year you, um, you go down to Arizona and do some um, games down there, some college games. And you've been doing that. How many years have you been doing that now? This was my, my seventh year going down. And that started when I was on a, a ball field in, in mid-March. And I know you're familiar with it, too. Um, it was actually at Davenport, a turf field. So they pushed all the snow off. And uh, baseball was being played. I believe it was a Friday evening, which was a little off being at nighttime. But uh, I think it was in the mid-30s, and I had about every piece of clothing on I could put on. And I just knew, I'm like, you know what, there's got to be some baseball somewhere. And I knew some guys that were going to Florida. And so I looked into that, but, you know, it was the first time where they're like, oh, you maybe get a week or so. I was thinking that's not really cost effective. So I looked up, and I still don't know how I did it. I typed in Arizona baseball, and they have same thing out there. Colleges coming on their spring break down to the warm weather to get some baseball in before the season. And I got in hold of some people and got in contact with the umpire directors, and she asked me, you know, do you have a baseball umpire resume? And I'm like, hmm, you know, I got a resume, but not an umpire one. So I had to put that together for um, – me and my and a friend of mine, because she said you need to come down with somebody. It just makes it easy for the hotel part of it. And she's like, how long do you want to come down? I said, well, how long can I come down? She said, as long as you want. It lasts pretty much the whole month of March. Um, I believe there's usually 60 to 80 teams coming down in their spring break, and they come and go. And, you know, they're, they're real games. And it's at the old uh, Diamondbacks uh, complex down there. Uh, if you've ever been to a spring training complex, you have the one big field and then you have the, all the smaller fields around it. And, uh, so it's really convenient being at one place. So that's how it kind of started. Yeah. What, um, what big city is that by down there in Arizona? It's in, yeah, it's in Tucson, Arizona. I believe it originated up in Phoenix, uh, with actually it was Russ Matt in Phoenix and then Russ Matt, uh, split off and went to Florida and then some new people kind of took over and then they changed the name and brought it down to Tucson because um, if you're not aware, you know, years past, all the teams were kind of everywhere in Arizona and then they all moved up to the Phoenix area. So some of these other places were empty. So they had to find something to do with these big complexes. And so the director of the one I go to, you know, he saw an opportunity to, to bring colleges down, you know, mostly from the West coast or from the Midwest, upper Midwest, some East coast teams do come. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they don't have a chance to play, obviously, in, in March at home. So they need to go somewhere where it's warm. Yep. So you get, like, maybe um, D2, D3, some JUCOs. Um, yeah. There's probably some D1s around there, too, playing. But uh, Yeah. Uh, but in- I, yep. I don't see any D1. Um, it's pretty much uh, some small D2s um, and then a lot of D3s, NAIs, and then uh, – some JUCO, a lot of the JUCO is the local JUCO in the Arizona area. But, uh, yeah, it's mostly the D2 and D3 stuff. And some Canadian teams sometimes, too. Huh? Yeah, yep. Every once in a while, um, there are some Canadian teams that come down. And uh, so, yeah, they actually come down, too. So they're not obviously playing up there either. So they need a, they need a place to where the, the warm weather and you know green grass. So that's why they come. Yeah. So this year was a little different than the other six years. Um, you know, compare like how this year was to previous years with the whole coronavirus thing going down um, while you were kind of in in mid games, kind of almost, you know, <laughs> things are going. Um, 
how many games did you end up working this year compared to other years too? So I think I got in 12 games and I usually get between 30 and 40. It's usually one or two a day, usually two a day, um, a couple of nines or maybe a couple of sevens. But yeah, um, it was uh, a lot shortened. Uh, another wrench that took into place was uh, MLB or the World Baseball Classic was having qualifying games and they kind of came in and took over the big stadium and uh, a couple of the other fields. So it was a little bit smaller of a, we'll call it an invitation. So it was definitely less games than years past. Hmm. Were um, players and coaches and umpires kind of freaking out a little bit about uh, coronavirus? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a day-to-day. Um, everything started out fine. Obviously, it was it was out there at the beginning of March. Um, but as things built and built and built and, you know, major league sports were getting canceled or, or delayed, it got a little bit more serious. Um, and then, obviously, boom, the whole D1, you know, obviously March Madness, that was kind of the first step. Um, that was kind of a big shot to a lot of people. And then, obviously, D1 Spring Sports. Um, uh, got canceled and then it trickled down and then a couple days later it would be D2 and then it was, you know, you hear the rumors of D3. So we did have a lot of teams that were already there. Um, so we were playing games, but a lot of new teams weren't coming in, uh, obviously because their schools were uh, canceling school. So they were asking the teams to come back home um, or the teams that were scheduled to go uh, to, uh, to Tucson, you know, obviously weren't. So Every day got a little different. It was, uh, you know, it was from one day to, hey, don't let, you know, the kids shake hands at the end of the game, which is kind of a, you know, that's new to us because obviously we always do, you know, let that happen. So it was a kind of thing. And you hear the rumors of, you know, Johnny got sick and they stopped the game. That was a rumor. Uh, But, you know, it's just you had to, I guess, be careful and you know, watch what you were doing, but it was, you know, no shakings, the coach's hands at the pregame, that kind of thing. So it was every day it got a little worse and worse. And then finally they just said, you know, Hey, um, if you can get flights home early, go for it. (laughs) And that's what you did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I definitely came home a little early than expected. And, you know, obviously watching, um, and you're aware of it too, you know, your arbiter count and, you know, every day, you're, you know, more and more games were getting canceled back home. So it was it was kind of a the, the mood was very down. And then, you know, it was definitely not anything fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, on a on an umpiring level, you're able to try to implement the new timing, uh, you know, protocols that we have now with the 20 second uh timer and all that kind of stuff and you you bought one of the new timers didn't you yeah yeah so how did that work out for you yeah that's what's really nice about going to to tucson early in the season uh it's always you know every year there's always something new you know the the preseason guidebook always has some you know things of emphasis to 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 work on and what they're looking to improve on the game and so yeah this year was the 22nd action clock not pitch clock but you know it's technically the action clock so it was different. Um, I think you really do need to have one of those. Um, for, I believe, I, I forget, uh, Rough Smart, I believe, is the company that makes it. Um, you can't use a watch. You can't use your stopwatch because you're always looking down. So you're constantly clicking this thing up and down. And it's kind of, 
funny that it is really close to 20 seconds. We end up going to a, a D1 game uh, first day we were there. Um, we usually, you know, catch an Arizona game, and they actually were playing Central Michigan, which was kind of neat to – there were some local kids on the team. But you kind of – we sat there and watched it. We did it in our head, you know, 20 seconds, and it really does come close. So when I got on the field and started doing it for the first time, it was a little different. Um, it's a lot of – you definitely got to, you know, it's up and down and up and down. So it, it was a little different. I believe my partner did do a uh, a warning once. Um, I think a lot of people didn't realize what what he did because I don't, you know, a lot of the fans don't know what those rules are. Um, I, a lot yeah. of the coaches are aware of it. Um, I don't see it maybe, I don't know. I don't see it being a big thing like it's really going to improve the game. It's just my opinion on making it go quicker. Um, I think there's some flaws in it that I think they've realized um, after, you know, every day you get something new email wise telling you, Hey, we'll do this, do that. So I think it was, it's something new. Maybe it will help improve the, the speed of the game, but uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see now. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I, I've been watching some of the old, uh, you know, old games that they're showing on TV, you know, from like the seventies or whatever. Um, and guys stay in the box all the time there. And I know we have our rules. We're trying to keep guys in the batter's box, but you don't have all these, you know, major league guys back in, you know, 1978 stepping out of the box and things, you know, pitcher gets the ball, he gets a sign, he pitches, you know, it's just like, there's just more pace of that way. And we've, in all levels of baseball, we seem to have lost that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be usually, you know, the pitcher is pitching too quick and you have to slow him down. Because he just wants yeah. to roll, 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 and not give yeah. the hitter the the chance to even yeah. get set. So usually that's always I think that's been a bigger problem in the guy going too slow. So yeah, it's different. It's going to be interesting. Um, hopefully, if it if we do get back to baseball, which I know we will, um, I think it's going to be everyone. I think needs to have it and do it the same way and the right way, so that you know, hey, they didn't do it this way there, or we were over there and they didn't yeah. do it this way. That's going to be the issue, just like every other. Uh, new thing that comes up that we have to you know work on so i think if it's consistent we'll be fine yeah i think you're right for sure i mean we got to have consistency for sure you can't have that lone ranger guy out there doing his own thing or whatever do you have any crazy games out there anything that kind of stood out or uh yeah um actually being in the field uh i uh i know it's happened to all of us but uh yeah a line shot i was in the B position and line shot off an aluminum bat with college baseball. Uh, that ball travels very fast. And uh, I jumped out of the way, but it ended up catching me in the, the bottom of the foot, the top half of the foot on the outside. And that was no fun. Um, a little giggle out of it after I got up, you know, and you're embarrassed. Uh, everybody clapped mm-hmm. for me. That was nice. But, you know, the coach kind of comes over and, you know, you're all right. And, you know, I, you know, my partner was asking if they had a trainer. Most schools have trainers. And he's like, oh, no. No, she didn't make it this trip, but uh, and he kind of giggled to my partner saying, oh, that was a that would have been an easy double play. And it would have been. It was right at the second baseman. And uh, it's unfortunate the team did score some runs and then obviously that team lost. So it was, a, you know, definitely <laughs> kind of a funny thing. And um, I did get it x-rayed and it came out negative. But uh, you definitely, uh, you know, the higher you go up in, in, in baseball, the, the ball does go quick. So you do have to always keep your eye on the ball. That's for sure. Hmm. Did you make the proper ruling on it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After I got up, uh, everyone did. 
it did what they needed to do. And uh, it, it's just, it's part of the game and we are part of the game. So, but yep. uh, it's just, it's you definitely, you know, you know, I say I want to protect my, you know, I want to protect my face and that kind of thing. But uh, being six yeah. four that I am, you know, jumping out of the way, I got a big long body and it, you know, and it caught me. But uh, they said it was traveling pretty quick, and, and I don't think anybody would have got out of the way of that thing. So yeah, so you definitely do have to be careful out there. But uh, yeah, that's other than that, no, I just, uh, you know, like I said, uh, this year was just definitely different. Um, the, the whole mood of it, uh, you know, everybody having it in the back of their head, and then obviously every day something new and. And obviously, you know, social media and the news every day you hear about something. And so it was definitely a different trip. Obviously, coming home early um, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but it was probably the best, uh, you know, and obviously they ended up canceling the, you know, the rest of the teams weren't showing up. So they just canceled, you know, the rest of the invitational. So definitely, yeah. uh, you know, looking forward to it next year. And, and then, you know, it's just one of those years. So, you know, we'll get through it yeah. and, and hopefully we're all back on the field real soon. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see here. I mean, I'm hoping maybe by, you know, May that we can get back on the field in some capacity, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes, you know, maybe late April. We're waiting here in the state of Michigan to see what they rule. They haven't canceled everything yet. They're probably going to wait till April to make a decision, but it should be nice to at least get half the season in and get on the ball field, you know? Yeah. So I think if we end up not having high school, I think if we do end up having summer ball, I think summer ball is going to be pretty busy, I think. You know, your your true baseball players, they're gonna to want to get out, play. Mm-hmm. So I think there might be a big increase in in travel sports and and uh, more kids wanting to play instead of taking a whole, you know, almost a whole year off. Yeah. So Yeah. They'll probably add some tournaments or add some other games and stuff. They're gonna to try to get as much much in as they can, I'm sure. So which I guess would be good for us umpires because, you know, guys would be wanting to try to recoup some of the money that they lost, you know. So Yeah. That is, uh, yeah, that definitely happened. So it's it's a, so it's, it's an interesting situation. Um, just you know, hoping we'll get through it. And it's just you know, some things just aren't in our hands to, to handle. So we just got to go with the flow. Yep, that's right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show here today, Kirk. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, giving us your perspective from what was going on down there in Arizona. I'm sure some guys will find that interesting. All right. All right. All right, I'll talk to you. All right, talk to you later. Thanks, Kev. Take care. Yep. Yep. The most recent referee magazine had a little one page article on um, pickoff positions when you're in B position working two man mechanics. Uh, pick off positions for first base, which is always a, a, a tricky call. Um, you know, it's an angle over distance kind of call. And, um, you know, sometimes you see guys that are a little bit farther back uh, toward, you know, second base, I guess. Some guys are a little bit closer to the pitcher. Um, I don't know how much difference it really makes um, if you're 45 feet away or 50 feet away. Uh, when you're at that distance, you know, you, you're having some issues. The more important thing is that if you can get one or two, you know, like jab steps toward the 45, you know, uh, foot line and get set and get yourself the best angle that you can, that is the most important thing so that you can see 
a swipe tag. You can see um, whether or not the first baseman uh, obstructs. Um, you know, you can see you know the the back edge of the bag the best because that is where that that runner on first is should be going anyway. So 99% of the time that's where he's going. So you need to see that. And um, and they talked about that. They have a a little uh, mechanics gram there where you know you you basically you're it's a left right turn and then you get set and um, make the best call you can. Um, I've always found this to be a difficult call. I think a lot of guys do. Um, you know, it matters what levels you're working, but um, you know the guy's got to be out, man. I mean, it's hard to see those bang bang plays there. It's got to be. Um, you gotta be. You gotta be sure that he's out. You can't be like, well, the throw beat him. Sometimes the throw beats him, and they get a crummy tag. You know, it's a high tag, or or the um, the pickoff throw is is you know toward the left of the first baseman, and and you know the guy's got to come across his body to make a tag on him, and it makes it look worse um, for the umpire because you know the ball kind of beat him, but the tag was crummy, and the throw wasn't really that good. So. Um, Anyway, basically, with these kind of pickup plays, you know, you don't have a lot of time to put yourself in the best position to gather, you know, the info that you need. Uh, you got to use that small window of time for the greatest effect that uh, you can get. Um, you're going to be better served with this type of play by having the best angle as opposed to being close to it. Um if you can't see when the base runner's hand reaches first, the first base bag and whether the swipe tag by the first baseman is applied before this happens, then um, you're just basically flipping a coin out there, which I've worked with some guys and it seems like they are, they're, they are flipping a coin out there. I'm not saying I've never been in that position either, but uh, you try to avoid that a little bit. Um, so best thing to do, take one or two quick hard steps toward the 45-foot line on the first base, you know, on the first base line there rather than toward the first base bag, because you don't want to be looking up the rear end of the of the runner, right? Pivot, and then the base umper, you know, you, you create a better angle there for seeing all the necessary elements of the bang-bang play that might be there. Um, this is one of those tough calls in two-man, and, and that's what we get. Nobody's going to, you know, cut you a break because you're working two-man. That's, that's what it is. If you've ever worked three-man or four-man and you've worked for a space and you're right there and you can see those plays beautifully um, you know how great that is but uh, that's you know most of us what we work is two-man so that's what we got and uh, you got to make sure that you are set and looking the best you can and if the guy's out man you got to really sell it sometimes I find that um, being a uh, lining myself up a little bit more with the back edge of the bag and then trying to get that read step is the best thing um, that I can get. I, I usually feel like I can only get one step. I'm, I'm always working on this. I feel like I can always get a little bit better at it. Um, the most important thing in my mind when I'm trying to take that play is being set. I don't want to be moving and trying to get my step, my my read or my jab step, um, you know, be as the play is developing. So you, you got to be paying attention to the pitcher, you know, that he is going to be making a pick play. And, um, and then get yourself in the best position it can and be set. So tricky play is something to work on. Um, proper positioning in B is important. I mean, there's, there's a little grace there for where you can be, but you can't be way back toward 
the um, you know the edge of the grass. That's not proper, and you can't be too far up there where you're in the hip pocket of the pitcher. So you got because you know you have other responsibilities too. If there's a double play situation, if there's fly balls. I mean, there's all kinds of other things that are going on for you out there. It's not just a pick play, but obviously those happen quite frequently. So that's a little mechanics to think about for the next time that you get yourself out on the baseball field and you're working the bases. Um, Work on how you're taking those pickoff plays at first base in your two-man mechanics. Well, it's time for week four of our MHSAA postseason baseball exam questions. Past three weeks, I've done uh, five questions, and I'm going to do five more this time. This is a 30-question test, and, um, you know, taking it kind of slow, but I think five questions is plenty enough on a podcast. I don't want this to be like, you know, half the the podcast is is quiz questions, but I think it works. So as usual, the idea here is I'm going to read the question, and I'm going to give you the choices that they gave us, and uh, you try to come up with the correct answer before I give it to you, all right? This first one deals with... um, Rule 345 in your Federation rule book. And it says, if the home team takes a charged conference, the visiting team, A, may also have a conference, but it will be charged. B, may not conference at the same time. Or C, may also have a conference, and it will not be charged as long as its conference ends before or simultaneous to the home team's charged conference. What do you got for an answer? Well, if you pick C, you are correct. That's that it's okay for them to have one as long as it ends when the other one ends or before, and then they don't get charged. That's the high school rule. If you're a, a, high, a collegiate umpire, you know they changed that a couple of years ago. Um, now both get charged for it, unless it's a pitching change, right? That's different. But then again, that's not a charged conference. All right, on to number 17. A team may record the game using a video camera, tablet, or cell phone from anywhere in dead ball territory and use it for coaching purposes. This is rule 331. Is that true or false? If you said true, you are correct. Seems a little fishy sometimes, uh, I guess anywhere in dead ball territory, but you certainly can't be coming out and trying to show you a video or something, but uh, as long as you're using it for coaching purposes, that's okay in high school. On to number 18. Backswing interference is when A, the batter contacts the catcher before the pitch is delivered. B, the batter contacts the catcher during his swing at a pitch. Or C, the batter contacts the catcher on his follow-through after completing his swing. This is rule 221.5. All right. What do you got for the correct answer? If you said A, you are correct. The batter contacts the catcher before the pitch is delivered. All right. So there you go. Number 19, runner on first and runner on second, and there's one out. The batter bunts a high fly ball between the mound and home plate. The pitcher, easily under the ball, allows it to fall untouched 
and then turns a double play at third and second. This is rule 219. Here are your choices. A, infield fly, batter's out, and the force is removed. Runners must be tagged off their base in order to be out. Or is it B, infield fly, the ball is dead and the batter is out, and all other runners return to their bases? Or is it C, the play stands and the inning is over? What do you got? Well, if you said C, you are correct, because a bunt can never be an infield fly, so therefore they are allowed to do that. All right? And then one last question for you. Number 20. Any bat that is not made of a single solid piece of wood is A, are always legal, B, must meet BB core standards and are labeled as such, or C, must meet bursar standards and are labeled as such. This is rule 132D. If you said the correct answer was B, you are right. Must meet BB core standards and are labeled as such. The bursar used to be the old one, right? So those are our five questions for this week. Next week, I will give you five more. I've got two more weeks worth of them for this particular quiz. And um, see how you would have done if you are a Michigan high school umpire uh, for the state test. All right. Hopefully, we'll actually get to play some state tournament games this year. And some of the guys that did well on this and have a good season can actually work some of those games. But time will tell, won't it? All right. Until next time, that's what we got for our quiz. Well, for this week's Umpire Spotlight, we're going to take a look at Jim Joyce. And being a Detroit Tigers fan, I am definitely familiar with Jim Joyce, and, and I respect Jim Joyce, um, though he did blow a call in a game that cost Armando Galarraga a perfect game. But, um, you know, we've all been there, right? So other than that, though, Jim Joyce was a heck of an umpire, you know? And uh, one of the things that stood out to me is, of course, you know, he was working first base when he blew that game, and he had the plate the next day. And uh, Galarraga came out there to give the lineups, and and Joyce, you know, apologized and felt awful about it after the fact, and um, had tears in his eyes when he uh, accepted the lineups and everything, because that's the way a lot of us are. I mean, I think all of us would probably be that way. Anybody that's been umpiring any length of time, if you kicked a call like that that cost a guy a perfect game, you would just feel awful about it for, for quite a while. And you know he did. And all of us have been there just, you know, on much lesser situations than that. And so we know that. I mean, I think it was good to to have that happen so that the general public could see the humanity of, you know, umpires. Because, you know, sometimes I think they forget that. But um, anyway, uh, Joyce was um, originally, he's, you know, originally from Toledo, Ohio, born in 1955. Went to Central Catholic High School there and graduated in 73. And then he went to Bowling Green State University, in Bowling Green, of course, where he played baseball. He uh, graduated in 1977 with a bachelor's degree in science education. After graduating from there, he umpired in the Midwest League in the late 70s and then the 
Florida Instructional League in 78, Texas League in 1980, the Pacific Coast League from 81 to 86, and also in 88, and then the International League in 87. He also worked um, in the 80s in the Dominican League in the early 80s. So in 89, he was uh, promoted from the Pacific Coast League to the American League after um, Major League umpire Nick Brimigan died, all right? So he worked in the Major League, well, in the American League from 1987 to 99, of course, and they combined, and then he worked from, you know, as a Major League umpire um, from 2000 until he retired in 2016. Um, very accomplished umpire. Umpired the All-Star Game in 1994, 2001, 2012. He worked the Division Series in 95, 98, 99, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2008, 2009, 2012, 2013. He worked the League Championship Series in 1997, 2004, 2006, 2007, and he worked in three World Series, the 99, the 2001, and the 2013 World Series. Um, ESPN, the magazine, at one point, released an anonymous poll of 100 current major leaguers that voted Joyce the best overall umpire in baseball. And for the 2012 season, Joyce served as the interim crew chief uh, due to the absence uh, and injury of John Hersbrack. All right. So um, he also, um, Joyce saved the life of an Arizona Diamondbacks employee by administering CPR to the woman um, who had cardiac arrest at Chase Field back in 2012. So a heck of a guy. I mean, he did blow one call. Okay, he blew more than one call in his career, but he blew one call that was very famous. However, he got a heck of a call right, if you recall, in Game 3 of the 2013 World Series that helped the Cardinals beat the Red Sox. Um, there was an obstruction call in the uh, bottom of the ninth that was at third base, and he nailed that call, and it was completely right. Um, heck of a call. Gutsy call. I, I remember watching it and thinking, yep, <laughs> he got it, and he's right on top of it, and he's making that call. And, um, you know, it was 100% the correct call. Um you know, things happen, right, with the Galarraga situation. As a Tigers fan, I remember watching that game, and, and I was watching it live. I mean, and it was it was awful. I think it's one of those things that helped lead uh, the major leagues to instant replay. And obviously, if instant replay would have been in place at that time, they would have got it right, and he would have got his perfect game. Because everybody would say, oh, Replay shows he was out by, like, you know, a step or whatever, and you should change. Well, you know, that's baseball, man. That's the way it goes. So even as a Tigers fan, I'm glad he didn't change it. That'd be kind of a joke. I mean, what are you going to do every time, you know, looking at replays? and Because that just opens a can of worms, man. You're looking at that, then you got to go back and change all kinds of stuff, right? So, um, I mean, now they got a system in place. But at that time, that, that was not going to really work, all right? So, you know, that game, of course, was back in June 2010. And, um, you know, after the game, uh, Joyce talked to the media and he admitted his mistake. You know, he was a man about it. And he said, I just cost the kid a perfect game. Um, Joyce and Galarraga received praise through the, you know, sports world, if you recall, um, because they handled the situation very well and, you know, didn't have all this finger pointing and everything else. And, uh, um, basically, uh, 
they reflected on it, and you know, there was an ESPN poll that reflected upon it, and people like Mariano Rivera spoke on the record about Joyce and the superb career he had as an umpire, and people really came to bat for him, which was which was good. That's what he deserved. Um, anyway, um, they ended up writing a book about it together um, back in 2011, Joyce and Galarraga, um, with an author that helped him out. Um, and the book was called Nobody's Perfect, Two Men, One Call, and a Game for Baseball History, which, you know, that's, that's, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I can't say I've read the book because <laughs> I don't really want to relive it, but I think it does an interesting thing. I, I, maybe at some point I'll read it here with uh, this, you know, self-quarantine kind of thing that we're all doing nowadays. You know, maybe I'll have a little time here and grab that book. Of course, my library's closed down, so maybe that's not going to work until they open back up and I can get it maybe. Maybe I'll just order from Amazon or something, right? Anyway, um, after that, of course, Major League Baseball didn't allow Joyce to work any games and what's Galarraga be playing to avoid, you know, the appearance of, you know, impropriety due to, you know, a business relationship, basically, which was probably a pretty good idea. Um, other notable games for him. In 2010, he was second base umpire for um, a perfect game, uh, Dallas Braden's perfect game in May. Um, that was like a month or so before um, the whole Galarraga situation. He was also the first base umpire for the no-hitter pitch by Carlos Zambrano in um, September 2008. In 1996, Joyce restrained fellow umpire John Hirschbeck when Hirschbeck angrily charged into the Baltimore Oriole clubhouse to confront Roberto Alomar. And because uh, of the day before the confrontation, Alomar had made comments about how Hersberg's attitude changed following the death of his son, which obviously that, you know, I've never really been too impressed with Alomar, you know, spitting in umpires' faces and all kinds of garbage. He was a piece of work, all right? Anyway, working third base during Game 3 of the 2000 World Series, though, 13 World Series, um, Joyce determined, you know, that Alan Craig of the Cardinals had been obstructed when Boston Red Sox infielder Will uh, Middlebrooks went diving after an errant throw by catcher Gerald Saltimacchia. Uh Craig was then awarded the winning run when home plate umpire uh, Dana DeMuth enforced the obstruction call. Uh, and this is the only case of a World Series game that ended on an obstruction call, so it was crazy. And uh, that's maybe the best call I, uh, he maybe ever made in his career. Definitely the most high-profile call, you know, in such a situation as that. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the 75 World Series, the obstruction call with, uh, with, you know, with Carlton Fisk and everything, right? So that is Jim Joyce, a, a heck of an umpire. Um, obviously going to be remembered always for blowing the call in the Galarraga perfect non near perfect game i guess to me it's a perfect game it's like he threw a perfect game um but uh you know that's the way it goes in baseball sometimes you're on the the bad end of something so so that's this this week's umpire spotlight former major league umpire jim joyce Well, we've come to the end of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. As always, I thank you for listening, and I hope that uh, you got something out of this. Show's still doing well, still getting my 200-plus listeners each week. Uh, we are being broadcast, I guess, uh, you know, on tape delay, if you want to think of it that way, since it's 
downloaded in uh, 15 different countries, and that's including the United States. And uh, we've reached listeners in 46 states plus the District of Columbia. So we're doing pretty well that way. Um, hopefully uh, you guys are hanging in there and you know, keeping your spirits high, being the rock in your associations and in your umpiring communities until we can get back on the baseball field. It's tough when there's no baseball on TV, new, new baseball that is on TV to watch. It's been interesting that uh, like MLB Network has been showing some old uh, classic games. I've watched a couple of those recently. I watched the 1979 Philadelphia Phillies and Chicago Cubs 23-22 to game, well over four hours. Nowadays, I think that game would take five and a half hours. Um, but there's lots of things I've noticed from some of these 1970s games um, that, um, you know, like about pace of play. I mean, players stay in the box. Pitchers get the ball. They stay on the mound, usually on the rubber. They get their sign, and they pitch. And guys just, you know, the game just keeps moving along. And you look at those old box scores, even into the mid to late 80s, most games were two hours, 220, you know, two and a half. You didn't have that many three-hour games back then. Now, I know the number one reason that professional, you know, major league games go so long is because every game's televised, and they have television breaks, and that that really does suck up a lot of time. I'm not going to lie to you. But guys getting out of the box and walking around and pitchers walking around and all this stuff, um, that really slows things down. It's interesting to watch those games. If you get a chance, do that. And watch the umpires, of course. And um, there's some, you know, great classic umpires in those games. But, you know, mechanics have been much more standardized. Let's just put it that way. There's some funky mechanics going on there. I'm not saying they're missing calls or anything. Just some weird stuff going on. Um, I remember seeing the Mark Fidrich 1976 classic game he had against the Yankees. Home plate umpires doing like a, you know, like a, stripper hip thrust kind of call third strike thing with his big balloon protector on so hey man whatever and um then in some of the umpire uniforms holy smokes and you got the like kind of light baby blue shirts with the navy pants for these national league umpires and they're tight um not the not the best look some of these guys weren't in the best shape either so it wasn't really helping them out too much but uh, nonetheless, some some interesting games and um, obviously some classic players, but some some interesting umpires there too that you should uh, try to check out and see how things have progressed over the last 30, 40 years or so. That's all we can do right now, right? You know, hopefully you're all staying safe out there, um, adhering to what uh, your local, state, and federal government is telling you to do as far as the coronavirus and staying healthy so that you're ready to go when we get back on the baseball field. We don't want something tragic to happen, and you can't even work any games, right? And we don't want anything to happen to your family out there, so be safe out there, all right? Well, until next week, uh, and, and I'll put together another show, and I'll have time to do it. But until then, anyway, um, somewhere along the line, maybe just in your living room, you can keep calling strikes.